While I was in um, Chicago, I did a I did a tour, a, a river tour on the Chicago River. Has anybody ever, it's got the architect tour. Anybody ever done that tour? Yeah, it's just people don't think I'm telling the truth a lot of times. So yeah, it's a it's an architectural tour. And uh, one of the buildings they showed us is called the the uh, the mistake on the lake, and it's a I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars the building cost, but they covered it in the finest marble from Italy on the outside because they're always trying to win some competition. Nobody thought about the fact that it gets really cold in Chicago, and the marble will not hold up, and so they had to take and spend another $81 million to take the marble off because it was cracking and was going to start falling and killing people on the street and put up granite. <laughs> that just goes to show you that you cannot take marble for granite. Hey, some of you, you just, you just got there? <laughs> Listen to this quote. This is from Carl Sagan, famous atheist. He's not an atheist anymore, by the way. Um, he said, if Christianity was true, there ought to be some specific actions to prove it to be so. And I thought to myself, let's see, how about creation? a virgin birth, and a resurrection. Wouldn't those be three topics that you would dig into? If I was talking to an atheist about, about anything, that would be where I would start. If they were honestly asking me, hey, can you, can you give me any real-life proof that this story is true? And here we are in Isaiah 51, if you get your Bibles out, and we're going to answer the question, who is the Messiah? What's it going to look like when Messiah comes? Because remember, when, they, when, the, when, when the Messiah did come, when Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, there were some that knew who he was. A lot of them didn't. A lot of people today still reject who he was. But yet, if they would have read Isaiah 50, 51, 52, and 53, they could have known exactly what to look for when Messiah came. And Carl Sagan said, well, there ought to be some kind of signs. I don't know what bigger signs you could possibly get. And listen to me. History is our friend. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. History is our friend. Guess what our culture wants us to forget? History. What do we promote? Science. Science. Forget about the past. Nobody in the past knew anything. All brilliance now exists in the present. You mean you still trust in that old book? Yeah, I do. Because you weren't there when it all started. Let me just have some creation fun right out of the gate. Here's the moon behind me. The moon is 238,900 miles away. Did you know that? Now you do. And it moves away at a few more inches every year. Did you know that? That's science. We know, as long as we've been measuring the distance to the moon, we know how far it moves, and it's the same distance every year. Evolutionists say that the Earth is, what, 6.5 billion years? If you back it up to 65 million years ago, you want to know how the dinosaurs died? It wasn't an asteroid that hit their head on the moon. The moon would have been 15 feet from the Earth. 
Now, science says, well, it must have been a different rate. Well, oh, that's not science. We know exactly how far the moon moves every year. You can't just say, well, there must have been another time it didn't move so much. That's not science. See, in Scripture, however, God says, I stretched out the heavens. You're going to see that phrase again. So God continually gives us history. The world does everything it can to wipe history away. Take history away from us. Because if we can take history away, you won't know your foundations. You won't know what this country was founded on. You won't even know what the church was founded on. And that's why you got churches all askew in our country today. So stand out of respect for God's Word. Here we go. Isaiah 51, beginning in verse 9. This is Israel speaking to God, this first statement. Awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength. O arm of the Lord. The people are saying, where is God? That's really what is going on there. Lord, be awake as you were in days gone by, as in generations of old. What are they asking? Be the same God you were in past history. That's who we want you to be. And then we find out who that was. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced that monster through? I'll explain. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? The ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion, Jerusalem. They will enter Jerusalem with singing. With everlasting joy it will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mortal men, the sons of men who are but grass, that you forget the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, that you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor who is bent on destruction? For where is the wrath of the oppressor. The cowering prisoners will soon be set free. They will not die in their dungeon, nor will they lack bread. For I am the Lord your God, who churns up the sea so that it waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. I have put the words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand. I who set the heavens in place, who laid the foundations of the earth, and who says to Zion, you are my people. You can be seated. So there's, there's three events that, he, that immediately God appeals to, and they all have to do with history. Two of them we know about, one of them we do not. So hang on. Now I'm better. All right. The first thing we, he appeals to is his creation. Three or four times in those verses, God says, Am I not the one who created you? Set the foundations of the earth. Am I not the ones that, that stretched out the heavens? Am I not the one who put it all together? So the first appeal that God has is to His sovereign nature that He put everything into place. And then the third one, you know pretty well, He says, You dried up the sea so that... 
God's people could walk across on dry land. You know that one? That one's in Exodus chapter 14. And that's when God did the greatest miracle for Israel. When God delivered His people out of Egypt, led them through bondage, and or led them through the, the, the dry land to get on their way to the promised land. But then there's a third story that we don't have a whole lot to go on. And it talks about some giant sea serpent that God killed. Do you see that? A serpent named Rahab. You're welcome to look it up. It goes back in history. It talks about some great event where God slayed some dragon, but we're not told anything else about it. We don't know anything. You're welcome to look it up. When you get a better answer, you can let me know. But God is appealing, telling them practical things. They can look back in history and go, oh, yeah. I remember, I remember my dad talking about the night they left Egypt and the blood being over the door. And I remember dad talking about uh, the Red Sea opening up. And for you and I, we're sitting here and we can talk about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and how God has transformed our lives and what Jesus has done. Listen... Again, the atheist will come back and say, well, you know, there's virgin births back in, in, uh, in other traditions. I'll give you that. There's all kinds of myths and stories and legends. But have you ever known one to change human history? Have you ever known one that all of history is dated as a result of this virgin birth? I know one. I know one that fits into that. And when Jesus comes, we, what does he do? He's, he's healing blind eyes. He's raising people from the dead. And John says in chapter 20, verse 31, he said, if all the miracles Jesus did were written down, there wouldn't be enough books to contain them. So what's the Messiah going to look like when he does come? This is from Isaiah's perspective. What's, what's he going to look like? He's going to be a miracle worker. Well, when you read the Gospels, what do you find? And by the way, if you go to Israel and you get a, a Jewish guide, they will not deny any of these events took place. They will just tell you, we do not believe Jesus was the Savior. It's like, really? You believe he healed the man's eyes? Yeah, I believe that. You believe he fed 6,000, 12,000, how many people there were that day? From just a few fish and loaves of bread? Yeah, I believe that. But they don't believe in the word Lord. And it seems like even in the church, that's a struggle that we have. We want Jesus to be a counselor for us, maybe an encourager to us, maybe something to kind of tack onto our lives. But do we really want him to be the Lord of our lives? When you understand that the God you serve is a God of miracles... And if you can't sit down, and again, the word is so messed up. I, I get it. I, you know, I, there's so much phoniness out there when it comes to this topic. But there's so many miracles that have happened in your life, in my life, in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, that we know that we still have a God who works miracles. doesn't mean I have the power to touch somebody, but we have a God who still works miracles. And it says when Messiah comes... That's what we can count on. But now let's go back. Let's go back. What are we being told in our culture today? Follow the science and destroy the history. Think about that. Destroy history and keep the science. Because who speaks for science? People today. History speaks for itself. So you have to rewrite history. 
Maybe, maybe the founding fathers weren't Christians like you say they were. No, they, they all were. If you'll check out the guys that signed the bottom of the declaration, was it 56, 57 people? I think 45 of them were sold out Christians. All right. And if you look at the actual words of our founding fathers, they said this country has no chance whatsoever unless it leans in to Christianity. We are not a religious people. We are a Christian nation. They made that very clear. And Thomas Jefferson, listen to this quote. Jefferson said, I am scared to death. This is in 1800. He, he said, I am scared to death because I know the wrath of God will not rest. And eventually, God will bring justice to America. Now, Jefferson was the least, least of the believers of all of the signers. And Jefferson said, I'm scared because there is a God who will not put up with any foolishness, regardless of what nation has, what name the nation has. So we look back and we say, wow, why are people trying to erase history? Because history will lead us back to the fact that we were founded as a Christian nation. That our families were built on Christian principles and the Ten Commandments. Listen, I, this is no lie. I talked to a guy the other day who said, our pastor got up in the pulpit and said, they are not the Ten Commandments. They are ten suggestions because there never was even a Moses. Look, here's the deal. Why go to church? And how dare you take a paycheck? Why, why would anybody show up? Well, you want to know why the churches are dying? They're dying because nobody believes anything. The power is in the history. When Messiah comes, what's he going to do? He's going to be a miracle worker, but he's also going to be a comforter. Don't miss that word. He said, I will comfort my people. And then there's an interesting phrase there. He said, I find it fascinating that people are terrified of men who are like grass. Now, if you know, Isaiah has already used that phrase back in chapter 40 in verse 8. He says, all men are like grass. They are good for a time and then they're good only to be thrown into a fire. He said, you're afraid of men who are temporary and have no control long term in your destiny. And yet you forget about God, the God who does what? Who comforts you. The word for the Holy Spirit, when we talk about God being three in one, He is God the Father, God the Son, and God as the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives inside of us, and the word, the word Holy Spirit, there is, is the word is paraclete in, in Greek. And it means the one who comes along beside you, and comforts you, and carries you. That's what the Spirit of God does. And so when you get a nudge in your heart like, I shouldn't be doing this. I should not be watching this. I should not go to this. We should not be listening to this. Whatever that might be, you need to take that as a good sign because that means the Holy Spirit's working in your life. When you no longer feel that, when you no longer feel that sense that, oh, wow, I'm really being nudged to help Nepal. Or I'm really being nudged to stop doing this. Whatever that is, when you no longer feel that, your conscience is seared, you don't have the Spirit living in you, and that's a dangerous place to be. 
In 2 Corinthians, Paul said this. He said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And it goes on to say in that passage that God comforts us so that, anybody? So that we can comfort others in their time of distress. So, God comes along and helps you through your difficult time with your family, your finances, your marriage, your life, your walk with Jesus, your prayer life, whatever it is. But you cannot let it sit there. You've got to help the next person. If the church doesn't do that, the church dies in one generation. So what's Messiah going to look like when he comes? He's going to be a miracle worker and he's going to be a God who brings comfort. He will bring comfort. Well, what happened when Jesus came? He said, I am the light of the world. People followed him. Why did they follow him? Because they found hope. When you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you read that great speech, it said the people at the end of that, it says in the end of verse 7, or chapter 7, it said the people were amazed because Jesus taught with authority. He gave them something that nobody else did. He gave them confidence in their faith. He gave them comfort for the future. And he gave them hope that there was an escape plan out of this world. Can you imagine? All right, let's just play any story you want to play right now. You want to talk about the people in Afghanistan. You want to talk about the uh, Haitian Guatemalans, the Mexicans at the border. I want you to imagine your life being so hopeless that you're willing to do whatever you have to do. You're willing to put your child in the arms of an army person or you're willing to put your child in the arms of a coyote that's coming across the border not knowing what they're going to do with your child just for the chance of finding hope in the United States of America. That's why people want to get here, guys. They don't know it. They think they're chasing gold and, 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 and silver and, and all the rest. But the truth is, what has made this country shine for all these years is the fact that Christianity has been here and we've brought hope to the world in our generation. And that's, that's what Jesus has brought. When Messiah comes, He will bring hope and comfort to the people. So again, when Jesus shows up, they see all the miracles going on. And one of the craziest verses is when Jesus is having a dialogue with, the, with the, the Jewish leaders. And he starts naming all the things that he's done, the different miracles. And he says, for which one of the miracles are you going to kill me for? And they said, for none of those, but for claiming to be the Son of God. Now think about that. Are you going to kill me because I raised that boy from the dead or because I gave this guy his sight back? Oh, no, no, not for either one of those, but because you claim to be God's son. Well, nobody stopped to think maybe he is God's son. You know who did get it? It was the Roman at the foot of the cross. The Romans at the foot of the cross, and he's watched thousands of people die. This guy is heartless. He's crucified many, many people. And as Jesus is dying, it's the Roman. It's not the Jewish people. It's not even the disciples. It is a Roman soldier who is a pagan who says, Surely you are the Son of God. There's your, there's your testimony. There's your history. It came from a non-believing Roman 
soldier who made the statement. What else is Messiah going to do? The last thing it says, it talks about protection. And he talks about the fact that you're going to have enemies all around you. And church, listen, I've told you for the last few weeks, we've got to get tougher. We've got to get stronger. We've got to get deeper in our faith. We've got to become better at praying. We've got to get better at going. We've got to get better in the knowledge of the Word of God. Because the church is going to get persecuted in America. It's coming. And don't tell me you're being persecuted now because I don't buy it. All right? It's coming. The real persecution is what's going on in Afghanistan. It's what's going on in Saudi Arabia. It's going on in Iran and, and, and other places on the map. The day's going to come when it's going to be very, very difficult to stand as Christians. And if you haven't set your anchor deep, you're going to struggle. But it says, when the Messiah comes, he will be a holy protector. And I love the phrase. If you look down at the end of that section, verse 15, it says that God will protect you with the shadow of his hand. You see that phrase? I'm, I'm standing, uh, so I, I did this. I'm just standing up here like this. And God doesn't even need his hand to protect you. He doesn't even need his hand to protect you and me. What's he need? Just the shadow of his hand. Are you kidding me? There's my shadow. Just the shadow of his hand, he said, will protect you. So why be so worried about all the things in this world? Here's what Paul said. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Allison, can you go back one, go back one slide? I want you to absorb that. You know what's going to happen the next morning? Paul's going to be beheaded. He's in, a, he's in a dungeon in Rome. And tomorrow morning he's going to be beheaded. And he writes this letter to Timothy. And he said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. And will do what? Bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Didn't say take away all the problems because Paul's going to lose his head tomorrow. But he said, my confidence is firm because Paul knew who the Messiah really was. Here's a story of a lady. She's, um, this is incredible. She's 120 years old. This is a true story. Uh, recently, an evangelist was in Africa and invited her to come. And she heard the gospel for the first time. And she was baptized at 120 years old. Isn't that cool? Now, let me tell you something. You're pressing your luck if you think, if you, think you can hold off to 120, all right? Um, it, worked, it worked out for that lady, okay? But that's not a plan that I would say, you know what? I'm going to live however I want, and at 120, I'm going to... Prob probably not. That's probably not the plan that you, that you want to take. You need to get right with the Lord now. But again, here's Isaiah writing. This is, this is the reminder Isaiah's writing 750 years before Jesus is going to be born. And Isaiah's telling everybody, when, when this guy comes, he's going to be a miracle worker, he's going to be a comfort bringer, and he's going to be a protector of your soul like no one has ever possibly conceived of. Let me finish with this. The other day I was flying home from St. Louis, visiting my parents. 
this is a true story. And um, I know you have to guess sometimes, but it's always interesting because I'm flying into Orlando all the time. And so every flight you get on, no matter where you're, wherever you're at coming to Orlando, what are you going to get? You get lots of kids. You get lots of kids. In fact, I felt so sorry for this mom. She was on the, on the plane and she had triplets that were two and she had a newborn. She was by herself on the plane. And I just leaned up and I said, you're a good mom. You'll get through this. I mean, I, she, I mean, kid, they're, they're up and down the plane. She's like, where'd that one go? And I'm like, God bless you. But, but all these kids and they're excited because what are they doing? They're going to Disney World. And so the plane is a buzz when we get on. The kids are all laughing and carrying on. Everybody's excited. And um, it was a bad storm, storm, a couple weeks ago, bad storms coming through Orlando. And the pilot comes on and he says this. He says, we're not lost. I thought, okay, that's, I'm glad to hear that. He said, but we are going in circles around Orlando because there are terrible thunderstorms and they want to reroute us and we're just trying to hang out here. I'm like, okay, whatever. And uh, he said, I'm just telling you now, it's going to be a rough ride going down. So again, people are laughing, carrying on. And uh, we start finally to descend and we hit one of those air pockets where the plane goes, screams, and then everything goes silent. And you know how they're usually going up and down the aisle going, Put on your seatbelt, tighten your seatbelt, fix that. You literally could see every adult on the plane reach over and grab their seatbelt and pull it down like this. Dead silence. And those wings went like this, all the way down. He put that plane down on the runway. The pilot's silent. Nothing. Not a word from anyone. And then finally, you can hear the pilot, he's gathered, regathered himself. And he says, oh, welcome to Orlando. The time is... And here's what I thought. I don't know when my day or your day is going to come. But we're flying through the storm right now. And it, we're not going to understand it. It may get quiet. It may get loud. I don't know what all is going to happen. I can't tell you how many bumps you're going to have. But the moment's going to come when your faith has to be seated. Guess what? I had no choice but to trust the guy flying that plane. And I told him on the way out, well done. Well done. And when you and I come out of this storm, we're going to land in eternity. And Jesus is going to look at us. And what's he going to say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. So don't let the storm keep you from going to Disney World. Don't let the storms in this world cause you to miss out on eternity. Because Isaiah told us exactly what Jesus would look like when he came. So the question is, what will you do with him today? If you need to accept Jesus, you can come right over here to the decision sign. If you're online, you hit that button, I've decided. Last weekend at the beach, we had 11 people gave their life to Jesus and were baptized. Anytime, anytime any church posts online uh, a baptism, this is what I want you to post. Just, just comment this way, this is what we live for.
Because that's the purpose. That's the only reason we're here is to help people find Jesus, to show them. And Isaiah is trying to show them, here's what he's going to look like. And then when Jesus came, he said, here I am. And now we're looking back saying, guys, this is what he is. This is who he is. He came to save our souls. So I don't know what you need. Do you need the salvation part? Maybe. Do you need the comfort part? Perhaps. Maybe you're in the storm right now and you're like, man, I'm not sure if this plane's ever going to land. I want you to know that you can trust the pilot and he'll put us down on that runway. Father, I pray that as we finish, that you would move in the hearts of people. That they would see that you are who you claim to be. That in a world who wants to throw away history, that we would dig deeper into history. That we would want to know the truth. Thank you for giving us a book that we can trust. That we can dig into, that we can ask questions, that we can challenge. And that we finally can realize through the storms of life that you're everything that you claim to be. Father, give us the courage to live it out and to boldly live our faith until the plane lands. In Jesus' name, amen.